Hey, this is Amanda, women's health dietitian. And I'm Emily, nutritional therapy practitioner. And this is the Are You Menstrual podcast, where we help you navigate the confusing world of women's hormones and teach you how to have healthy periods. Each week, we will be diving into a different topic on women's health and sharing our perspective using nutrition, female physiology, and metabolic health. Our goal is to help you wade through conflicting health information and empower you on your healing journey. We hope you enjoy it. We have a very special episode for you this week focusing on midlife women in peri- and postmenopause with Maria and Kristen from Wise and Well. Maria, an FDN practitioner, and Kristen, a board-certified nutritionist, are plain-spoken friends and practitioners who share a passion for women's health, especially women's health at midlife. As both them are themselves menopausal, they've refined the art and science of thriving as a midlife woman based on both clinical and personal experience. They combine individualized nutrition and lifestyle changes tailored to midlife women's needs with mindset coaching, lab testing, and hormone replacement therapy education to help women thrive so that they can stop or prevent their health from spinning out of control. You guys do a lot. I'm very excited to have you here. We've been Instagram friends for a long time. So tell us more of your own specific background and story and just what is midlife women's health? Why do you guys focus on that? My story, I'll try to keep it super brief, is I started noticing some changes to my health, my mood, my body. I was probably about 42, 43, didn't like it. And so I set out to do something about it. And I knew that I wasn't going to see, I was kind of holistically minded growing up. And so I knew I just didn't want to get a prescription. And so I trekked into New York City to see a medical doctor who I thought I did my research, but didn't really end up being a very empowering, good visit, even though it was a holistic medical doctor had published several books. Just to give you an idea of how desperate I was, I literally had my appointment on December 26th, the day after Christmas in New York City. Can't hail a cab. It's still very busy. I left that office visit feeling like I wasn't entirely heard, like I was being sold a lot of supplements and just like a, like a fire hose plant, like learning through a fire hose, drinking through a fire hose. And it was at that point where I decided, like, oh, no, there's got to be something better. And that's when I went back to school. So then I got, you know, mentored by doctors and I did very high level programs. I've done like a menopause program that is actually just for physicians, but I was allowed to audit it. Not that I'm going to be writing hormone prescriptions anytime soon, but uh, I learned a lot. It's It was for doctors. Uh, Kristen and I have both been mentored by, you know, endocrinologists that has been in the field for over 20 years and several programs. And now here we are <laughs> helping women with perimenopause and menopause. So mine's similar, but it's interesting because I was not holistically minded. I'll be the first one to admit it. I came from a very conventional background. I'm actually an attorney. That's what I did for the first part of my adult life. Loved it. Worked in the securities industry. And we moved out to Boston from the Midwest and I got involved in competitive rowing. And I was a pretty high level athlete and competing regularly all over um, at national level and the world level. And that meant I was training a lot. And now this was my 30s. I did not know better. It's really intense, particularly intense cardio. And my health started to plummet. Now my performance was really important to me, right? So I start kind of investigating what is going wrong more from this, like, I don't want to not perform, not seeing the forest through the trees, which that I also was like declining in a sex life. And I was a real raging, you know what, to my kids and that I felt like everything that I ate, I needed to work off with, you know, caloric expenditure. And so I was kind of playing this whack-a-mole and I thought I knew what was happening. And I figured that when things started to not work with what I was doing, there must be something wrong in my body. What could not be, of course, anything that I was doing. So, um, I went to my very conventionally minded practitioner at Mass General Hospital and begged her essentially to find something wrong with me. And unlike Maria's experience, where they're more than happy to spend your money and do a whole bunch of tests, they refuse to do my tests. And, you know, Maria and I have found that women are either one of us or the other in terms of their experience with practitioners. Mine looked at me and said, you're too young. I'm not going to do hormone testing. Then I thought, well, maybe I have Lyme's disease. You know, could you do autoimmune testing? Could you do something? No. Could you look at my thyroid? Looked at my thyroid. 
I didn't know back then that what she was looking at was in this lab reference range of normal, but was actually quite suboptimal. Um, and so I went back to her over and over again. And she finally said to me, Chris, you've been here like six times the last eight months. There's nothing wrong with you. You are fine. And that was literally like the biggest punch in the gut because I knew that I wasn't fine. I knew that I was having this like weight battle with me internally. And I was like, but I work out and I eat healthy and I'm paleo and I do all these perfect things. What is wrong? I don't sleep, you know, all these things. And it was really being burned by conventional medicine that got me to say enough. I, I no one's going to be the captain of this ship, but me, obviously, and I'm going to have to step back and figure it out. So like Maria, I decided to go back to school, um, much to my husband's horror at the time, because when you have a law degree, he's like, what else do you need? But, you know, went back to nutrition school, started to work with clients one-on-one -on -one in kind of a generalized space. And what I realized is the vast majority of the most desperate people were my female clients around midlife. And they felt like the goalposts were changing. Someone was absolutely messing with them and nobody was listening. And that resonated so strongly with me. So that's when I started to seek the additional training specifically into hormones, specifically into midlife, you know, getting uh, trained to read tests, taking my nutrition program up a notch to getting board certified and those sorts of things. That's how I came upon Maria. And, you know, we found that we had a very similar passion. We had a very similar to be honest, kind of simmering frustration and anger at the system. And we just decided, look, we're going to combine forces and take care of these women because nobody is listening, you know? So that's how I came to it. And we love what we do. I mean, women are phenomenal caregivers, except when it comes to themselves. So oh, that's so true. <laughs> <laughs> that's like, that like gets you, you yeah. know, as soon as you said that, I was like, yikes, that's too accurate. So it's, it's pretty wild that both of you had diff completely different lives and careers. And then because you had no one to help you, you had to actually go back to school and do it yourselves. Like that's, that shows, I feel like that's a good summary of how the, I mean, there's a lack of women's health care in general, but then this we have this whole population that's just completely getting pushed aside uh, and dismissed. Like you guys going to two different women, two different doctors, different states and getting like dismissed in different ways, basically, you know? So that is very, very interesting and just like shows you how, how big this is that you had to actually change your whole careers in order <laughs> to figure out your own health issues. That's pretty aggressive. I feel like, um, <laughs> but also sometimes can be really necessary. Funny thing, Kristen, I rode at UConn. You're kidding me. No, oh, yeah, I did. So yeah, you get it. You know what the big yeah, damage we do to our bodies. You said rowing. I was like, oh gosh, I'm getting like <laughs> flashbacks. <laughs> um, we have an erg in our garage and like I still row and stuff, but that's so funny. So that's like your background. I think it's great to hear. I know way too many women, unfortunately, are probably going to relate to that. Why don't you guys tell us? Because when I, I posted a question box on Instagram, because I was like, okay, what do people want to know about this specific topic. I mean, we are focusing on peri and post menopause, but then also like kind of leading up to that time. And a lot of women were just like, what's happening? You know, like they go to the doctor and the doctor cannot tell them what's actually happening. So what is happening during that transition into peri and post menopause? So the, the issue with why the doctor can't tell them is because we kind of function on a, you either have a disease or you don't right? You have a syndrome or you don't, right? <laughs> we could argue about the whole syndrome, but it's sort of like, you know, you're diagnosed or you're not. There's like very little room for gray area. And while perimenopause or menopause is not a sickness by any means or an illness or a disease, it comes with some pretty profound physiological and sometimes psychological changes. And, and you know, because we don't have that in the, in the DSM or whatever it's called, you know, women are often pushed aside or they're given things for their symptoms without really kind of being empowered to understand what's going on. And so what is going on is that it's a very slow process of ovarian senescence. And the ovaries are, you know, slowly, slowly starting to kind of shut down, so to speak. That is what happens. I mean, it sounds negative. And it's normal. It doesn't mean your ovaries are broken. It's totally no, normal. It's totally, yeah. everything we're mentioning is totally normal. You know, even if we lived in, you know, in a bubble, 
and we had perfect food and water, I mean, we would still probably have some of these symptoms. They're probably a lot worse because of the expectations and, uh, you know, the stress that we put ourselves in and the kind of denatured food that we tend to eat. But, you know, these changes are normal. And so, you know, the, the, the first kind of change we can put our finger on is that progesterone drops, Okay, so then we have this like relative state of estrogen dominance, and it doesn't necessarily mean we have too much estrogen. In fact, it rarely means that. Sometimes it could mean it, but it rarely means it. You know, we get some symptoms from that. So uh, we may not sleep well. We may feel anxious. We may have menstrual flooding. We may get headaches, things like that. And so, but what what most women don't realize um, is that so progesterone drops, and once it drops, it's not coming back. Estrogen will fluctuate, but progesterone really doesn't come back. What a lot of women don't realize, and Amanda, we focus so heavily on estrogen dominance, and it is a thing. It's just not that big of a thing for women once they reach a certain age or stage, because that age is going to be different for everyone. Because what's happening is that your estrogen is actually dropping. Okay, it's circulating, right? Up and down, but it is also dropping. It's just, you don't really quite see that drop as much. And that brings changes. So that can bring hot flashes. That can bring mood issues. That can bring weight issues. Yeah. So as Maria said, we have this relative estrogen dominance. And, you know, one of the things that I think happened just only recently is that we started talking about the cycle of hormones in a woman's body. Maria and I didn't have that. Our mothers didn't have that. And probably the generation between you know, us and kind of the 20 somethings of today didn't have it. You know, your generation is just starting those 30s. You know, you're starting to be more aware of what does the release of hormones over a monthly cycle look like. We didn't have the benefit of that. So we had no idea that we had these sort of different surges of estrogen over the course of 28 days and a different surge of progesterone. And so women just think that, you know, it's too much estrogen all the time. And when Maria said the relative, it's, you know, this, this progesterone's in decline and your estrogen's kind of fluctuating, but it's kind of fluctuating with a little less, little less life, right? And so the progesterone's not there to blunt it. And that's why we feel the estrogen, right? And, you know, it's, there's so many things that go into it, but estrogen is a signaler in our body well beyond our fertility. And it's changing how we process carbohydrates. It's changing where we store fat. It's changing, you know, our cardiovascular fitness, our mental cognition, all of those things. So women start to feel these things happening. They don't really understand why. And no one would assume that it's actually estrogen in decline and not surging estrogen. Yes, it can be kind of doing this erratic nature during the midlife transition, but it's really not about having a lot of estrogen or too much. It's about having almost no progesterone and then sort of a, you know, slow gasping death of the ovaries. Um, And that creates that moving the goalpost feeling, right? That creates that lost what is happening in my body. And we, we don't talk about it as women. So we start to feel really isolated in this experience. And that's why, you know, we think what you're doing and so many ladies who are trying to get women to understand their cycle today is so critical to how they're going to experience midlife. I think the tricky thing though, is because there's now this information's getting out there, which is amazing. I do. It's so important, but a lot of midlife women think that it applies to them. Like they think that everything that I I mean, and and not that it, nothing I'm saying ever talking about applies. Like, of course, like stress management, minerals, completely essential, all that stuff, but it's going to be a little bit different and some things might not be enough, you know? So like the progesterone thing, and I'm sure you guys saw that question and were like laughed because I love when you guys talk about this. The whole thing that's happening is it's normal, this decline in progesterone, and then it looks like you have estrogen dominance. That's what makes women so symptomatic during this time. So talk about the whole progesterone piece. And I'm curious, Maria, since like you're that doctor you initially went to try to put you on a bunch of supplements, did they do anything to try to, were those supplements to like boost progesterone? Um, no, I don't think they were because I actually at that doctor, I was also prescribed, interestingly enough, hormone replacement therapy. Remember, I was 43, which is pretty young, which now that I think back, I think I probably should have started at about 45 and not 50. But that's a whole other conversation. Maybe we can get into that later. No, I don't think so. I remember getting super high dose vitamin D. But yeah, we can definitely talk about the the whole progesterone. I I think there's a lot of uh, misinformation about progesterone. I believe that when you, you know, you can, 
if you're a, you're a healthy body and a young fertile woman, you know, and you work on the pillars of health, you give yourself the best chance for your body to do what it's supposed to, which is to make progesterone, right? And I remember getting tremendous help when I had PMS using something like Chase Tree, right? But that 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 fell off. Like I firmly believe I've read it, I've experienced myself. We lose ovarian response to to Chase Tree at, at a certain point. So you know those those things are fine. Do you need vitamin C? Yes, maybe mild aerobic exercise. But like it's gonna as you age, that stuff has minimal effect at best. Yeah. It frustrates us to see this, you know, eat yams and you're going to support your progesterone. Same thing with anyone telling a woman 40 or north of 40 that she can balance her hormones literally makes Maria and me want to throttle them. And I'm <laughs> I'm not going to make friends saying that, but I'm sorry. It It's so misleading and it frustrates us because midlife women are misled with so many other things to begin with. And it's sort of this message that like, if you're unable to balance your hormones after incorporating all these interventions, you're doing it wrong. And that is so unfair to a woman because there is no balanced hormones in midlife. That's the hallmark of midlife is unbalanced hormones. So, you know, between, you know, suddenly raising progesterone sufficiency from the dead, once your ovaries start to go into senescence or being able to create this balanced hormonal environment in midlife, those are two complete misconceptions that we just want women to hear like it's okay that it's not working for you it actually isn't going to work for you you know we can mitigate how you experience those things but we can't reverse those things and i think that's kind of the message that a lot of people get is like it's like you shouldn't have any of these symptoms it's not necessarily normal i think i'm a big person where I try not to get like, let my clients and the women in my community obsess over symptoms because I'm like, guys, guys, we got to, we got to rein it in. We need to calm down. Symptoms are communication from our bodies trying to tell us what they need. But I think that's, you know, if you go to the doctor, they ask you what's wrong. And that's kind of the only thing that they're going off of. So I get it. So let's go into the HRT stuff because I feel like this is kind of what I know you guys the most for is being very outspoken about this and providing really good education. And I think this is probably the most common question that we got in the question box is, is HRT okay for everyone? How do I know if I should or should not do it? When do you start HRT? All that kind of stuff. Well, it's going to be different for each woman, but the thing is, we will say you do not have to be fully menopausal. And just just in order that we define terms here, Menopause is 12 months without a period. It's not, you know, you're menstruating five times a year. You, you're you skipping. Like people will go to their doctor. The doctor might test FSH, see that it's high. And the doctor will say, well, you're in menopause. I mean, it becomes like a, a war of words at that point, And it's somewhat irrelevant in term, you know, because it's really this kind of continuum, right? It's like, there's this changing. So it's just like a technicality. You're in menopause when you look at the rear view mirror and you see you've gone 12 months without a period, all right? Anything leading up to that, those changes, those alterations in mood and weight and menstrual cycle, that's perimenopause. That can last anywhere from two to, I've heard like people say up to 12 years. I'm a little suspect on that, but you know, we'll say like two to five years is going to be more, a little bit more common. Yeah. And when it happens is largely genetic, you know, and that's hard for women to kind of hear, you know, a lot of our mother's generation, they had full hysterectomies at younger ages, you know, they got their tubes tied and uterus taken out when they had their last baby, you know, some sort of sort of premature onset of menopause created by something that happened to them. And so a lot of us are flying blind, right? Or, or our mothers never talked about it. And, you know, that's really hard because then when you're asking, let's say a 60, 70, 80 year old mom, when did you go into menopause? They just kind of look at you like, I don't remember, you know, and I know even I forget Maria's mom's situation. Mine, mine had a full hysterectomy at 32 years old. So I had zero clue when I was going to be going into menopause. And so we'd like to tell ladies like, look, you can, as we said, mitigate your experience of midlife and what life feels like when you hit menopause. And that may help. I don't want to say lengthen it, but but delay the time at which you're finally 12 months without a period. But at some point, it's going to happen for everyone. And, you know, for some women, if it's happening at 44, 
It's not a failure on your part. There's nothing you did, you know, and those of you who still have a full cycle at 52, 53, lucky you. But, you know, it's anywhere sort of in that bracketing of age that you can expect it. And that's why we try and women like get out in front of it, but don't wait till you hit the wall. And it's not that you need to, you're not even reversing anything when you guys work with women. You're just, you're literally just supporting since the whole reason why this is happening is because of this hormone imbalance, which was the perfect way to describe. And I feel like, couldn't that be a diagnosis technically? You know, like that's how I feel like that's what they should do for peri and menopause and menopause. It could technically be a hormone imbalance. I feel like that would be helpful. And it's a good way to look at it and knowing that it's not necessarily one that you guys have to fix. It's just something that you're trying to support as you go through those different transitions. And then when you're finally menopausal, I I would say, you know, in terms of your estrogen, progesterone, it's not a balance and it's not a really a hormone imbalance. It's just insufficiency. Yeah. It's gone. Yeah. (laughs) It's technically balanced, but that's not necessarily a good thing (laughs) either. So, so you did ask, I think you started out by saying like, do you like, when do you start? Um, some, you know, again, knowing what I now know, I wish I would have started at I was menopausal by 47. I don't, I don't think I started in earnest maybe till I was about 49. Knowing what I now know, I would have started at 45, 46. You do not, do not have to wait until the final menstrual period. Yeah. And a lot of women are like me. I had a Mirena. You know, I kind of went cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs after my last kid. And, um, you know, they were like, here's an antidepressant. Here's this. And I was like, hell to the no, it's not going to happen. So God bless my nurse practitioner who's like, try this Mirena. It might stabilize your moods and a few other things. It did. It was great. Um, But it also meant that I had no clue when I hit menopause. And there's all too many doctors willing to say, just keep it in. Keep it until you're like 55. And then you'll just sail through menopause. What I know now makes me so angry that I was told that because it's not just the hot flashes and the weight changes and the mood changes and some anxiety and the things that start to creep up that we're aware of. What Maria and I are most passionate about with maintaining hormonal sufficiency is the things that you're not aware of. And by the time you become aware of them, they're too late. And that's where we try and educate women that HRT Yes, can help you feel comfortable with those symptoms that you're feeling, but what it's also doing is providing you with chronic disease prevention. You know, we kind of hinted earlier, estrogen is everywhere in the body. It is the woman's thermostat. It is such a regulator of so many things. What we try and get women to see is it's regulating your bone health. It's regulating your brain health. It's regulating your cardiovascular health. And these things matter. So why wait until, you know, we talk about why, why would you withhold insulin from a diabetic until they're in a coma, right? Why would you withhold hormones from a woman until she is absolutely shriveled up and miserable? So there is no need to wait. Once you kind of documented like, Hey, I'm in this transition of chaos hormonally and imbalance and everything else. It's okay to seek HRT to bring some calm to that chaos A, it's going to improve your quality of life right now, but B, it's going to provide you with some protection as you age. And that's the piece that we feel so many women are missing because we'll hear women say, I I didn't have a single hot flash. I breezed through menopause. We're like, okay, how are your bones doing? You know, and, and that's kind of a harsh reality, but we want to make sure women hear that because you don't know that your bones are frail until you're 70 and you break your hip because you slipped on an icy sidewalk. I think a lot of people are afraid of it, like hormone replacement therapy, though. Then that was the big question I got is like, is how do you know if it's safe for you? So the Dutch test can give us a clue, okay? How we methylate estrogen and how we break it down into its metabolites can certainly give us uh, it, it, it. And if you don't do that well, it's you're not ruled out from it, but it means we've got to pay more attention and we've got to be more careful. And and that leads to the next thing, which is like, we're huge fans of HRT, but do not step into that without knowing what you're doing. Because what happens, Amanda, is a lot of women will go get a freaking pellet. They're happy as anything for three to six months or a year. I tell all the people who come to me and say, well, I love my pellet. I'm like, come back to me in five years. You know, we're talking like HRT is a long-term thing in our opinion. So you need to find a sustainable solution. So yeah, HRT is great, but you know, the lifestyle things matter as much, if not more. And you know, you just, you cannot go into H. Well, I don't want to say you cannot, 
You should not go into HRT with pre-insulin resistance and, you know, drinking wine two times a week and, you know, eating a crap food diet. And also you need to kind of really understand the process and have your expectations dialed in. Yeah. I mean, we talk about plenty. You can't, you know, out diet, no workout, and you can't work out a crappy diet, right? The same thing applies for HRT. You cannot just apply HRT to a woman's physiology without dialing in the sleep, the nutrition, the lifestyle. You know, I know it's not going to be popular to say, but you got to drop the Orange Theory Fitness. You got to stop the Peloton. You know, there's things, you know, Maria said you're in a default state of imbalance. You're also in a default state of inflammation. So you need to start looking at what are the lifestyle things that you take on right now that add to inflammation? What's spiking your cortisol? What's catabolic to your muscle tissue? Those sorts of things need to be concurrently dialed in as you proceed to look at balancing your hormones or restoring your hormones with HRT. So that's a huge piece of it. And that's why, you know, a lot of women will be like, can you just tell me what HRT we need? And we're like, I don't know, what do you eat? You know, how do you sleep? Do you sleep? You know, and and that's a huge piece. Sleep is elusive for midlife women. So we're pretty adamant that HRT is amazing, but it is not the end all be all unless you've dialed everything else in. Hey, Amanda here, just giving you a quick break, hopefully a a break for your brain in the middle of this podcast episode to remind you that if you haven't gone through our free training, Optimizing Hormone Health Through Mineral Balance, we really do recommend starting there. And the main reason for that is because you're going to hear us say things like mineral foundation, having a solid foundation, are you putting the foundations in place? Especially as we get deeper and deeper into different hormonal topics and specific imbalances in the body, the, the mineral foundation it's always going to be so essential. So if you haven't watched the free training, you can find it in our show notes or you can go to hormonehealingrd.com and it's going to be right on that front page there. But we really recommend starting there so that you can understand how is your current mineral status? How do you assess this and how to get started with all that just so you can get as much as you possibly can out of the rest of the podcast episodes. But that's it. I hope you enjoy the rest of this episode. That's how I look at supplements. Like people are always asking like, what supplements should I take? I'm like, what do you eat? You know, like what's, what kind of stressors do you have? So I, it, they work so much better if you're already have all the, that like really solid foundation in place. So it's the, the same like mindset as it seems like is applied to that hormone replacement therapy as well. Well, that, and also unlike supplements, HRT can go bad on a woman who doesn't have good estrogen detox, who doesn't have good adrenal function, who doesn't have good inflammatory control. You can't expect HRT to correct for those things. And you can actually sometimes have it amplify because if you're not pooping, guess what? You're going to start recirculating your estrogen, right? So there's all of these things that matter and they're not mattering just because we're trying to optimize and like you're in charge and then we'll supplement. This is truly like it's a, you know, a synchrony that you need to achieve by putting action into one thing while taking on this HRT. So, you know, we, we don't even send out testing for women who are working with us until they're a good four weeks into having a little skin in the game and making some changes. Cause it's all going to change anyway, yeah. you know, once they make those changes. So it's kind of like, I, I do the same thing. I don't do hormone testing right away. Cause I'm like, you guys, it's going to change so much. And then you're going to have to shell out all that money for another Dutch test. Like what's the point? That's really interesting. So what about for women that are nervous as far as like hormone replacement therapy and like cancer? That was a question I got quite a few times. Yeah, it's a great question. So the whole Women's Health Initiative that hit the news, I think, in 2002, it's uh, it dies hard. <laughs> so biggest concern, the biggest killer of women is heart disease, more than anything, more than what's been going on the past year and a half, more than breast cancer. But women are rightly concerned about breast cancer because that's what came out of the WHI. We don't believe that hormone therapy causes cancer. Can it bring a simmering or kind of like a... We don't believe the right hormone therapy causes cancer. There are synthetic hormone therapies that are concerning. Right. Yeah. But but even like with our, the bioidentical hormone therapy, like it can bring like a cancer diagnosis to light sooner because estrogen is a trophic hormone. It's a growth hormone. But the bottom line is that 
couple of things. And again, we don't have the final say on this, but women on hormones will get cancer, but women on not on hormones would get cancer. And if you look at like, if you're fearful of estrogen, let's put it in this kind of evolutionary historic perspective. If we thought estrogen really caused cancer, then pregnant women would be getting cancer by the droves because there's no higher estrogenic time than in pregnancy. Women, you know, in their 20s and early 30s would be getting cancer by the droves. They do get cancer. It probably has more to do with endocrine disruptors that disrupt estrogen. But again, no one knows for sure. But who gets cancer? Women in their sixth and seventh decade who have no sex hormones left. And I say no, take that with a grain of salt. They have a tiny, 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 tiny bit coming from the adrenal glands. Essentially, they have no hormones left. So like, think about that. So does does estrogen cause cancer? No. No. And that's, you know, women get really, really surprised when we tell them that one of the main ways to treat certain types of breast cancer is actually high dose estrogen therapy. It shuts down the receptor. Yeah. So that's a huge kind of like wake up for a lot of women that like, oh, well, I guess then it can't be all that bad because why would we give it to if it was like jet fuel to cancer, right? Why would we be using it? And that's in conventional hospital settings. This is an issue that's really near and dear to my heart because I have a mom who had two types of breast cancer bilaterally mostly probably due to my lifestyle early on. I had a lot of inflammatory microcalcifications. I've had seven breast biopsies. I get imaged every six months between a mammogram and a breast MRI, whether I like it or not. My doctors are actually thrilled that I'm on HRT because they feel that I have a better chance of protecting my breast tissue by making sure that I have hormonal sufficiency than if I was absolutely depleted in hormones. Now, I'm, you know, working with a very skilled practitioner. There's a lot of nuance to it. I'm being monitored correctly. I pay attention to a Dutch every year to look at how I'm metabolizing things. Those things matter, but that's just part of being a responsible adult in your body. But as for, you know, is it safe for everyone? That's a really nuanced answer. You know, is it safe for a woman who's drinking every night and used to smoke and had, you know, birth control for 20 years? probably not right away. You might want to clean up some things, you know, is it safe for someone who's eaten a really clean paleo diet and been really healthy and had all these things dialed in, but has a history of family breast cancer? Again, nuanced answer. Need to look into those things for the vast majority of women. Is it safe? Yeah, it is. And it's something that, you know, again, we kind of get loud about because there's so much misinformation out there on it. You might get loud about it, but I feel like you don't present the information in a scary way, which I really appreciate because I think we get enough of that <laughs> online. You're just straightforward, which I, I do think is important. And I, I love the idea of thinking of it as like, well, if estrogen causes cancer, then when we have the lowest levels of estrogen in the body, like why would that happen? It's, it's very interesting. The big things I thought of is like, I do think that you can't forget the lifestyle piece, like alcohol. I know I love that you guys talk about this a lot. I feel very strongly about alcohol. It's more for like personal reasons, but I really like that you talk about, you know, they can convert estrogen more in the body. And then, you know, pairing something like that with HRT is obviously you're going to have a very different result than if you didn't. Yeah. I mean, we occasionally still run into women who are HRT users who are fairly regular drinkers. And I mean, I honestly think if they're telling me they're drinking two or three times a week and it's even one drink... I personally think that's too much. And that's sort of like was inspired my post today, which was like, just choose one, you know? Yeah. And, you know, we just have to make choices. I was a very light drinker up until about a year ago. But honestly, I was just felt like absolute crap even after one drink. And I was just like, enough is enough. And Yeah. And I haven't touched it in 30 years. So... (laughs) Wow. So for women that don't know, like what is the concern with alcohol in general, but then especially for midlife women? Well, um, so I think the research is pretty clear. It increases estrogen in the body and it's not. So the estrogen we want um, in midlife is estradiol. Okay. That's, that's gonna, that's the rock star estrogen. I mean, it's fine. We have two other types and they're, they're naturally there, but like, we don't want too much estrone. Right. And so if we're drinking, we can be creating more estrone and estrone actually signals something called the alpha receptor. And the alpha receptor is responsible for growth. And I did say before, estrogen is a trophic hormone. It promotes growth. Well, too much growth is not good. 
So why would we want to kind of signal that alpha receptor? Now, again, we need growth. I mean, the alpha receptor is also signaled, you know, and interfaces with the immune system. And these are like really good things. And I can't- Our bones. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So alpha receptor is not bad, ladies, but it's just, we don't want too much. We just don't want too much kind of foot on that gas pedal on that estrone. And so one thing that it makes me think of, because obviously a lot of my work is around mineral balance within the body. And I'm so curious if you guys have seen a lot of inflammation and just excess iron in your clients along with you. I typically see it in women that have bone loss issues or just like poor, you know, like it's like steadily declined. And there's, there's a really, I'll have to send you guys the article after, but it has like a great picture of like iron going up and like certain minerals going down. And then like, it's basically for women as soon as like bone formation, it's like, totally normal. And then as soon as they hit menopause, it's like completely. And obviously like, I I do think that hormones play a role, but the more and more I learn about iron and our recycling system and how that drives inflammation, I think of how women, when they're no longer getting rid of that iron every month, it doesn't mean that we're absorbing less, you know? So it's kind of like, is that impacting inflammation, bone health? Do you guys ever see that in the women that you work with? Yeah. I mean, ferritin is something that needs to be monitored in a, in a midlife woman, regardless of whether she has a uterus still or not. It's something that's got to be looked at. And, and a lot of women don't realize that when we look at a lab reference range for ferritin, which is our stored form of iron, there's a premenopausal range and a postmenopausal range. And the postmenopausal range goes as high as the top level of a man's range of iron. And that's a lot of iron in the body. So when we talk about Iron, what's really important for menopausal or just midlife women is stored iron, right? Which is ferritin. And a lot of women don't realize that ferritin has two ranges when it comes to women in terms of what's normal. And for menopause and beyond, because like you hinted, we're not having that cycle bleed, right? We're going to end up getting higher levels of ferritin. And so the lab reference ranges allow a menopausal woman to go as high as men. That starts to become a little bit of a problem. That's about 250 is the level for men and and menopausal women. You know, whether you've got a uterus or not, whether you're using HRT that cycles, which means you actually create a withdrawal bleed. A lot of women don't realize you can do that with HRT. It is something that we think needs to be monitored. There's so many things that iron can compete with. Bone density is one, but thyroid is another one. We think that the metabolites of estrogen, particularly one called 16-OH, are bigger drivers of bone remodeling in women than just looking at minerals alone. But it's all a symphony. You know, this, this system just doesn't operate in a vacuum. And so when we have estrogen metabolites, you know, changing how our bones are remodeling, that's going to change the communication of our minerals and how much calcium we're taking out of the blood and exchanging and whatnot, that's going to change with our iron, you know, starting to compete with that red blood, everything. So yeah, it's a huge component. It's something that, you know, I monitor in myself quarterly. We recommend in our clients to kind of look at it annually and, you know, bone health does matter. And a lot of women, they come and they're like, I just started taking calcium for my bones and I just want to bang my head on the table you know, ladies, your body has this mechanism that is absolutely not going to adjust to your calcium in terms of like, oh, she gave me a calcium supplement. I'll increase my calcium. Nope. It's a tightly regulated system in the blood. It's there to protect and save you. You look at minerals. You know, if you're worried about your bone health, let's talk minerals. So, you know, we're all with you on that one, but iron definitely needs to be monitored for a a lot of different reasons. You know, women will come in and they're like, I'm anemic and yet they have really high ferritin. Okay. That's another sign. Do we need to look at B12? You know, all of these things are in there. I don't think people realize that it's not just calcium that's in our bones either. It's like, guys, that's just the one that like we've kind of latched onto. The big thing with iron that I've seen, especially if I have clients that they are going through like osteoporosis or, and they've done um, like DEXA scans and they're specifically kind of seeing that bone density go down is when the iron accumulates, it'll stop those osteoblasts. So it basically stops the bone metabolism. To me, it's it's such a big piece of the puzzle. I did not know that you could induce a bleed with HRT. My mind's like a little bit blown right now. <laughs> I have a lot of women donate blood a few times yeah. a year pending that they can tolerate that. Right. And even, I mean, that's called, this is the stuff that we teach. And this kind of goes into that whole, like, should I do HRT question? It's like, Well, A, we're not going to lie, we're huge fans, but B, you sure as hell better not be doing it unless you fully understand it. Because the only HRT you're going to get 
is the HRT preference of the doctor that you choose, right? Which and is right, often a pellet. Let's right. be real. Yeah. So what's wrong with the pellets? Tell, tell us what's wrong with the pellets. You, you cannot control levels. Levels are uncontrolled. You get a really, really high spike upon insertion, and then it dwindles. You can't take them out, and that's the thing. I mean, HRT in other methods, you can adjust on the fly. You know, if you're a month into an HRT regimen and things start going wonky, you want to be able to call your provider and say, should I be doing more or less and estrogen, testosterone, progesterone, what are we working with? It's like creating a recipe and then not being able to change the ingredients or take it out of the oven. Ladies, that is not going to serve you. Those pellets go in, they're not coming out. It's also a surgical procedure and we hate to say it, that's a moneymaker for a lot of physicians. And guess what? It's usually not a physician that's recommending it. We're seeing women get it from dermatologists, from plastic surgeons, anti-aging doctors, etc. So, you know, yes, huge fans of HRT, but only a woman who's informed and empowered to choose for herself. And that issue of a cyclic bleed, that's a consideration. You know, some women like probably are horrified right now saying, no way am I bringing my period back again. You know, we hear you, but we want to have you understand why someone might choose to, what the benefits are, what the concerns are not doing it, uterus, no uterus, etc. And if you can't know those things already, we hate to say it, you have no business in going and seeking HRT. But I think that could actually make people feel better of like, okay, there's plenty of steps that I need to take first. And there's things that I can start working on before I even have to worry about the whole HRT piece. And I know you guys probably have to go soon. I have like so many questions for you. Um, One thing that I want to make sure we stick in here is for the women that are say like in their thirties, maybe like mid to late thirties. And I got a lot of women wondering, is there anything that I can do in order to make that transition, that perimenopause season of their lives? You just hit on the one. Learn a what your options are, B, know what's happening, right? Because all of us can go on any internet, you know, site and find out this chart that says low estrogen, high estrogen. Well, if you paid attention to those, they have the same damn things on them, right? You'll be like, oh my God, I'm both high and low. You know, that's very confusing. So really understanding your hormones in the context of midlife is going to help you be like, ah, this is what's happening. Yes, you can track things with blood and whatnot, but if you're already in that place of experiencing it, find out, I probably should look at my nutrition, probably should look at how I'm working out. If I'm going to bed with a screen in my face, probably need to clean up my habits. And then I need to become informed because the last thing we want to be doing is making a decision from a place of panic, from a place of discomfort and from a place of fear. And your ladies in their 30s have such a leg up on Maria and me and our clients. So, you know, just start to learn. And there's so many places to learn, whether it's, you know, the wonderful information that Maria likes to pump out on Instagram, or it's just, you know, reading books. You know, we have ladies in their 30s taking our program because they're like, I'm not going to age like my mother. And that's awesome. I'm a big fan of the mineral balancing. I think that's pretty amazing stuff. So I know you do a lot with that, Amanda. And then also, you know, it's kind of hackneyed, but, you know, just this, the whole stress mitigation, super important. You know, like Kristen said, we just like, we, we, we take care of everyone except ourselves. And then we get to about 40 or 45 and we're, we're a little burnt out. Yeah. And the, one of your questions that you had was about libido. And I bring it up now in this context because... Personally, I found it was in my late 30s where that started to shift. And, you know, it's really difficult in a relationship when you just don't feel like having sex or you don't enjoy it. And, you know, it's not a secret. It's kind of become a generalized stereotype that this is when relationships start to fail. And it doesn't have to be that way. And you don't have to feel on the defensive and your partner shouldn't feel rejected Everyone needs to be understanding what's happening here and realizing that there actually are ways to embrace this, support it, change it, shift it, and actually make it awesome. I mean, not TMI, but Maria and I would probably say we have seven boys between the two of us, if that says anything, but we have phenomenal sex lives in our 50s. And my sex life now is better than it was in my 40s and my 30s. And that has a lot to do with getting in touch with my body, supporting it in the right ways and having an open communication with my spouse, you know, and that's something that we suffer in silence and then things start to kind of degrade from there. 
And I feel like it's also, it can be a hard thing to talk about. I feel like there's so much negativity around women aging. You know, I've like recently, I'm so naive when it comes to plastic surgery stuff. My friends are like, how do you not notice that they've had all this work done? I'm like, I don't know. I don't know. I can't tell. Now I can, but now I'm like starting to notice and I'm like, oh my gosh, this is so normalized. Like Botox, lip fillers, like. Extremely. And and let me blow your mind a little bit further. This is not coming from a place of judgment because I think, you know, and I, I made the decision probably about six months ago to share it openly. I had breast implants. They've been out for over a year now. Fantastic decision. But let me tell you, I had them and and most of your holistic wellness people have them too. Not Kristen, no. <laughs> and again, I'm not judging people. How could I? I did it myself. But yeah, it's totally normalized to do all that stuff. And the pressure's there because it's like women aren't allowed to age. Like even I was talking to one of my friends and she's like so concerned about she's starting to get some wrinkles like around her eyes. I was like, that just means you smile a lot and have like a good life. Like we can't imagine like someone in their 30s obsessing over that now. I'm like, what's going to happen in 10 to 20 years? You know, like it's very. But look at what Amanda, you guys are up against. We didn't come of age as young women in our 30s and 40s with Instagram and really even Facebook all that much. And, you know, there's so much put out there. I mean, Marie and I were just joking today. She posted these beautiful pictures on her trip in, in Italy. And I was, you know, DMing her only messages that a work wife can message, which is like, wow, your breasts look awesome in that dress. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> but, you know, Maria, she responded cheekily like, hey, look, only the good ones make the highlight reel, you know. <laughs> And that's a message that like girls need to figure out is that all this stuff that you're being bombarded with is curated and filtered and perfected and et cetera. And it's not real. I mean, it may be real in that image, but come on, girls, like we need to talk about this. And I think it's tough because women are having children a little bit later in life than Maria and I did. And so you're at this point where you're like raising kids. There's a lot of sort of judgment, self-measuring against other people. You know, is my kid the one making the scene in the sandbox or whatever? The last thing you're going to talk about is I hate having sex with my husband or my vagina is so dry or I never sleep or whatever. And that part of it just makes this whole experience so much harder because you guys are being bombarded with this beauty image. And you know, I mean, I got stretch marks, but I also got three amazing young men. And I'd look at those stretch marks, not to get emotional, but my husband's like, babe, those are your war wounds of like, look at what the life that you've lived, you know, but that's not the messaging that's out there. And that's, I think, really tough on the 30 somethings right now. I would even go so far as to say that it's really tough on the 40, 50, 60, yeah. and sometimes 70 somethings, because I, I still, we, we, we have our clients who sometimes message us and say, well, is it okay to do this or that? But the point of the matter is, Amanda, Kristen and I, you know, we talk about this a lot and we deal with this a lot. And, you know, we, we, we cannot build muscle like we used to 10 or 15 years ago. And, you know, we're not going to look like, you know, the 33 year old doctor who, you know, is a, you know, weight trainer. And we don't begrudge those people at all. That was us at one point too. And, and I think what women have to realize is that your body is going to change. And some of those changes are not going to really be appreciated by you. They're going to be, if I could be so honest, a little bit negative. Like I personally would like to be thinner like I was 10 years ago. I don't think that will ever happen again. I just, it's a function of age. That does not mean that I can't be healthy and look good for my age and, and just be happy. I mean, I, to me, it's really more about the, you know, just being in this happy, balanced mood. And a happy marriage with the husband who still finds you hot. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, that's a, that's a really important thing is like, you know, who cares what the Instagram thinks, you know, are you comfortable? And I mean, let's be honest, none of us are comfortable naked. None of us, you know, so let's throw that ideal to the side and ask ourselves, am I healthy? Can I keep up with my kids? Do I have a good relationship with my husband? You know, do I have grace and blessings in my life and move on from that physical ideal? Because it's not going to get any easier. No, it gets worse. And, and, you know, I just think we need to 
I mean, I say we need to. I think it's good to embrace it. Otherwise, you're always in this comparisonitis and, you know, you're chasing things that may not be healthy for you. So, And I love that you said bodies are meant to change. They are. They're not like you can't look at a picture of yourself from like high school or college and be like, why don't I look like that anymore? It's like because, you know, it's okay. It's normal to have your body change. You go through different seasons. But I, I do think that that midlife season is especially hard. I hope that anyone that's listening feels a little better and hopefully encouraged. I can't express enough. Like everyone needs to go follow Maria and Kristen. They're at wise and well with two underscores. I'll put the link for their Instagram in the show notes, especially if you are a midlife woman or maybe you're menopausal and you've already gone through a lot of this and you're wondering like, do you have to settle for the way you're feeling right now? They have so much free information. They also have a free Mighty Networks group. The link is also going to be in the show notes. I know I'm going to have so many questions about how do I find someone to help me with HRT and like all that kind of stuff. How can women work with you guys? Do you want to share that information? Sure. Um, So uh, we actually have a six month program that is about getting you ready for HRT or not. Again, like we said, we don't, we're not invested in that decision, but we're going to teach you everything about it so you can make an empowered decision. We're going to test your hormones with the Dutch test. We're going to do the GI map. We're going to, because like, interesting, Kristen was, you know, riffing off. It's the heart. It's the brain. Believe it or not, your gut actually suffers with estrogen deficiency as well. So we do work on gut health. We work on, you know, hormone health. Uh, We want to just make sure you're metabolizing well, nutrition, metabolic health, because when we go into that estrogen deficiency state, we can put on a little bit too much weight. So we can become a little bit insulin resistant. So that's really a big thing that we do. Six months of coaching, a one-on-one session. So that's our program. We call it Mastering Midlife Mayhem and just the link in our Instagram bio, or they can just kind of access us through our website, which is wiseandwell.me. Awesome. Yeah. I'll put, I'll put all that stuff in the show notes as well. Um, is there anything that you want to leave the listeners with? Oh, gosh. (laughs) I mean, I'd say, honestly, you know, we've been a little cheeky in some of this interview, but I would say that I want, you know, your listeners to take it that there's a lot of sincerity behind that. And, you know, we've been where they're at. We've been scared. We've been frustrated. We've been angry. We've been feeling betrayed by our bodies. We've been all of those things. It isn't so much as like, oh, I'm just going to be fat and happy and age, you know, the way I'm at no, no, we're still busting our butts right now to, you know, have the best health and feel the sexiest and do all these things. But I think that between a perspective shift and being empowered over the decisions that you're making every day from a place of knowledge, truly, truly, it's not a euphemism. This next chapter of your life, especially as you shed commitments, i.e. children and work and other things, truly can be the best chapter of your life. And we're both loving it right now. And I think that a lot of our women who came in, even the most downtrodden would say too, like you guys gave me hope and that's that's the biggest thing we want to say is like this there really is some great opportunities for you to thrive yeah awesome well thank you so much for being here i'm sure we'll have follow-up questions um so i'll probably have to have you guys back but i really appreciate it You're welcome. Pleasure. thank it you for having us <laughs> Thank you for listening to the Are You Menstrual podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, please consider leaving us a review and sharing the podcast with someone you think it will help. If you are new here, we can't recommend enough to start with our mineral imbalance quiz. This is going to give you an idea if you are at low, moderate, or high risk for mineral imbalances. And then of course, make sure you follow us on Instagram at Hormone Healing RD and consider signing up for our newsletter. If you like nerding out and you are just loving these podcasts, but maybe you're a little bit more visual and you want to see things too, we go into a ton of detail in our weekly newsletter. So we would love to have you join us there. All right. Thank you. And we will see you in the next episode.